oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two What it do? Win leads Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. We are here continuing on our 30-team preview series with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, unbelievably powerhouse team. You know, they they had a de- they had made a lot of changes pretty much organization-wide um, to kind of make them into the team they were last year. So we're going to kind of go through the entire roster like we always do on Roster Resource, go through the entire lineup, bench, bullpen, rotation, and get you set up for what their value could be in a shortened season, what changes. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Williams. And joining me on the show today, Mr. Michael Govier. What's up, buddy? Hey, Matthew. How you doing, bud? It's a pleasure to be back on the show. So the, uh, the Minnesota Twins, <clears throat> they made a little bit of an improvement last year. Uh, they're, they pretty much, well, they had the best regular season record they've had since 1965, which is beautiful. Uh, they improved by 20, uh, 20, 23 wins, made the playoffs for the second time in three seasons. But the main thing is what a juggernaut they were on offense. They jumped to second in the major leagues in runs with 939, which was 201 more than they had in 2018. Obviously, home runs were up across the board. So, you know, that's just something that uh, general scoring was up across the board. But again, they led both leagues. You know, again, everyone's scoring was up, but they were the best. They led both leagues in home runs with 307 and ranked first in RBIs with 906. Even their pitching was better. I mean, 21 fewer runs, but still the pitching is obviously their Achilles heel. But 418 ERA was good for ninth. Um, and they led the, they tied for the major league in saves. So, you know, tons of really uh, good things happening for this uh, pretty young Twins team, um, you know, other than a couple of players. <laughs> they have two of like the oldest superstars in the entire league and then basically a pretty young core. Um, you know, they they lost CJ Crone, they bring in Josh Donaldson. I obviously still have old man Nelson Cruz, man in the DH spot. So um, let's just dive into the lineup. The lineup with this team, I think, is the most interesting because there are a lot of t- a lot of players on this team. Their lineup position is going to dramatically change what their fantasy value is and how you're going to implement them. Um, you know, obviously, Byron Buxton's probably going to man the nine hole until he can prove he's trustworthy. If any of you still trust him, Luis Arias was seeing the leadoff spot quite a bit in spring training, whereas Max Kepler manned that position a lot last year. So, you know, it dramatically changes those two. So before we dive in, the Twins made an organizational change on offense last year to pull the ball more, to elevate the ball more, and be more aggressive, swing early in the count, ambush fastball. So uh, before we get into the lineup, Mike, how do you feel about the Twins? Do you think that they were – uh, dependent? Do you think their success was dependent on that uh, that juice ball, or do you think that the that just that new approach, you know, combined with the talent, we're just going to see something similar this year, the same laser show? 
Well, Matt, the Twins speak for themselves when it comes to power. They had 11 guys who hit double-digit home runs. I mean, take that for what it's worth. It just shows, though, that you're right. The organization. I think they had five pro- guys with over 30, didn't they? Uh, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. That's amazing. Crazy. I mean, <laughs> they set the all-time record for home runs in the season. They hit home runs. But you're right. Is it If the ball gets back to what you've been hinting at on several of these team previews, that from what you were hearing and out of spring training, the ball might be favorable back to the pitcher a little bit in 2020. And if that is the case, I still think that this team rakes because a lot of their profiles suggest that they will hit the ball hard and far and they will pull the ball. Like you said, the organization has made an approach to do so. Now they'll always be prone to more strikeouts, but that's part of the game. I'm not really concerned about that. This is a, a top three offense, no matter what happens with the ball, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, there's a higher, obviously you have a higher Babbitt putting the ball in play than striking out. You're straight. Your BABIP with striking out is zero. <laughs> but like you said, in, in the end, if you're going to pop the ball up, if you're going to strike out in the end, it doesn't matter a whole bunch if you're hitting the ball as hard as they are. So anyway, diving into the lineup, we're going again with roster resource. They have Max Kepler leading off. Very interesting guy. Absolutely love him. I don't know if he's leading off though. Let's for devil's advocate. We'll get to Luis Arias a little bit. He was leading off most of spring training, but again, spring training when it happened, you know, the whole lineup isn't together. Arias Makes more sense at the top of the lineup. Elite contact, elite uh, plate discipline. He seems like someone who should be leading off for this team. He could win a batting title, be on base constantly in front of the mashers. Um, So we'll actually get more into him er, uh, later. But let's talk about Max Kepler and how his value could change, whether he's batting leadoff or not. Uh, Last year, he batted 252 with 36 home runs, 98 runs, and 90 RBIs. One of the most disrespected players in all of fantasy baseball, at least early in draft season. Um, pretty much, you know, all the to- the toll booth indicators, which I like to call them, suggest the production was legitimate, which is like weighted runs created plus WOBA, all those like, you know, all those like stats that kind of combine a few different things you want to look for. They all suggest everything was legitimate. And um, again, I already said the Twins made that organizational shift to have people pull the ball, elevate and be aggressive. Fly ball percentage was 46.6%. His pull percentage, 53.4%. Hard contact, 42.4%. Barrel percentage, 8.9%. Launch angle up to 18.2 degrees. Pull the ball. This recipe for success for everyone. If you don't have elite exit velocity, pull the ball in the air at a higher launch angle on the barrel. That will get the job done no matter what. So if you're ever looking for people that like, uh, you know, people love to abuse stats like BABIP and home run to fly ball ratio. You hear me talking about it all the time. Don't use it against league average. That's silly. Use it against the player's average. X stats or expected statistics are the new shiny toy everyone wants to abuse. If you look at um, if you look at expected stats for Max Kepler, it looks like that he's going to regress. But he is the kind of player that even though his exit velocity is down, he made tangible change to get the most out of what he has. So X stats, they're they're okay to look at. They are not a crutch because this is someone that is going to outperform expected stats. So again, naysayers will point for regression. I don't see it. So what do you think of Max Kepler? I mean, he's his plate discipline, even like, you know, you're looking at all these things. People want to people want to discount the breakout they saw. You know, 9.3% strikeout, a swing and strike rate, 81.2% contact rate. And by the way, a 92.2 Z contact, that's contact within the strike zone. Again, elite. So you have this guy who is making elite contact within the strike zone, barreling the ball at a high rate. 
and making all the possible changes to elevate the ball and get it out of there, who actually all the, what I said, the expected stats for power, that's where your problem comes in. Cause that's where the stack cast data comes in to kind of mess with you with the, you know, the exit velocity mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, expected batting average is a little more useful, which is expected batting average was higher than his actual batting average because that, you know, is a little more simpler to quantify. So anyway, I love Max Kepler. It's, it's pretty much on record. Um, he's in that range of hitters where there's a lot of question marks, but, um, uh, the only thing that changes for me is here is if he's if leading off, there's more runs. If he's further down, there's more RBIs. But that's really just a trade-off here nor there. So, you know, Max Kepler, are you a believer? Wow. Uh, Mr. Williams is in love. Look at this. I didn't know yeah. that you were such a Kepler homer. This is... No, not- I am a fan of disrespected talent and value. <laughs> well, that's fair. He definitely is disrespected. And personally by me, because I don't think I own him in any draft I did at all i, I can't he, think of a share he's, I had. he's in a zone he's in the zone the adp zone of a lot of trendy hitters so you got to make the choice to get him that's one thing you do have to make the choice to make him a part of your team yeah i just feel like at that spot there's a bunch of better options for me that i would prefer but i may be i may have to review my feelings on mr kepler because he has made a lot of progress he does show a profile that could be proof it could be uh Slump proof. I mean, everybody will go into a slump, but I'm talking like a season long or maybe a Jose Ramirez-esque slump. I think his profile could avoid that because he makes good contact. His even he swings a lot more last year. His swing percentage went up. His in all ways, he swung more in every fashion. So he wants to get on base more by trying to put the ball in play and generally try to hit it out of the park. But with a walk rate that's slightly above league average, I think I'm gonna have to reconsider my Kepler. Uh, displeasure. You well, here, um, without, without context, we'll get into Eddie Rosario in a little bit. Who do you think you'd rather have this year, Eddie Rosario or Max Kepler? Gosh, well, the one big difference I see with these two guys is the walk rate. You know, Eddie Rosario never walks, but they both make good contact. So I don't know that I don't like either one of those guys. <laughs> to me, they're very N- NFBC since May 1st. You know, again, ADP at this point, you know, there are no rules. Who knows? Uh, Eddie Rosario is going at 90. And Max Kepler is going at 145. Mm. Uh, Oscar Mercado, 106. Michael Conforto, 118, who, again, another guy I believe in, line drive oh, yeah. hitter. Andrew Benintendi, 119. Uh, Danny Santana, 135. Uh, Scott Kingery, 143. Byron Buxton going 152 right after Kepler as far as outfielders go. So Max Kepler, I mean, in my opinion, I love Kyle Schwarber at 124. He's someone I will reach way up to get above there. But Schwarber, Kepler. I mean, I love this aisle uh, when everyone else is like in the Nick Castellano, Ozuna uh, shopping aisle, R- Luis Robert in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. I'm filling other needs and I am waiting for the uh, the Fran Mill Reyes, Michael Conforto, Kyle Schwarber, Lawrence Gurriel, Max Kepler. You know, there's a J.D. Davis. There's just a ton of guys in this later later area. Yeah, but the only guy there that you mentioned I would take, I, I don't want to take Robert. I, I don't want to take... Uh... I do like Conforto, but I do love Castellanos. I'm down with that. But the rest of the guys, you know, I could take it or leave it. I have always avoided Rosario because I think he's way too overvalued. His ADP at Fantasy Pros was around 90 last I checked, and that's just too high for me. I I know his contact rate is impressive, but him and Kepler are two similar dudes. And it's really intriguing to me that you brought both of them up because <laughs> they don't seem to separate themselves too much b- besides the wall. Well, here, we, we usually go in order on this show, but we brought up Eddie Rosario, so let's just jump into it. Roster Resource has him batting fifth, which, again, in the Twins lineup, beautiful. <laughs> you're going to yeah. see you're gonna see a lot of work there. Um, typically pretty underappreciated, but like you said, 
going around 90, that's, you know, you have to pay kind of pay up for him. Last year, he had a career high in runs, home runs and RBIs. He lowered his strikeout rate for the third straight year. He does not walk. So, but in an OBP league, who cares? Um, his exit velocity is actually very, very meh, <laughs> which is probably the reason a lot of people aren't that uh, enamored with him. He's another one of those guys that literally squeezes every little bit of production out of the talent he has. Um, his hard, his hard contact only 30, 36%, same as the exit velocity. It's something people look at and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to jump on board this, but again, mm-hmm. career high in all those major categories, lower to strikeout percentage for the third straight year. He has a very favorable swing path to get the most out of his power. He has like a nice 15% home run to fall ratio, which is very respectable. Um, I think he's a guy that is basically like lineup dependent, like roster construction, because I think his 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 full season pace is probably like a batting average of like 280 with 25 home runs. And everyone will look at the home runs like, oh, I can get those anywhere. Um, the batting average combined with the home runs, though, are, are hard to combine in a full season. Like right, 162 games, it's nice to have a nice 280 batting average to give you that power. But I think in a shortened season, absolutely out on Rosario because uh, if you look at his numbers, he doesn't look like someone who's going to be streaky and kind of land you a nice hot streak. Um, I don't want ratio players, safe ratio players in a shortened season. And that's what Rosario kind of is. I think Kepler would have the ability um, and al- along with you know many other guys on this team we'll get to have the ability to go on a hot streak and really tear it up in home runs or even batting average. But Rosario is just going to be kind of middle of the field in, in, in the entire time. And I, I just think that you can almost literally rebuild him on the waiver wire streaming properly and probably come away with better work. If you know, you know, there's luck involved with streaming hitters, but that production in a short season is I think easy to replicate. So true, man. That's why I have, I avoided him long-term when it was going to be a full season and I'm even more off the bandwagon in a short season. His home runs jumped in 2017 up to 27, but if besides his K percentage going down, uh, the exit velocity didn't really change, and his launch angle didn't go up much. So he goes from 13 home runs, I believe, when his previous full season up to 27 without much of a change in the stat cast numbers. I, I find that very uh, suspect. Now, he does make good contact, as we said. You could rely on that. So maybe his floor would be valuable. But like you said, in a short season, he could have a bad run of it and then never get a chance to bounce back from that. So I, yeah. I don't like Rosario. Before, I don't like him now. I, I don't like, have any shares in him either. I like Rosario, only in a full season. I don't have any shares, but I get it. I think he's one of those guys that you can put his production in the bank, which there's something to be said for that. Not many really? people can you say that, no, when I said 280-25, I don't think there's going to be much variance there. I think you put him down, you're going to get a nice solid batting average. You're going to get a nice set of home runs. It's not going to be wow in any area, but over a full season, at least you can plug that in. Uh, but yeah, in a short season, no, <laughs> I, I yeah. want more um, batting, batting second for this very, very talented team is Jorge Polanco. Definitely one of my favorite values in all of fantasy. Short oh, me, stop. Too, me too, me too. Oh yes. <laughs> Shortstop, right? One of the deepest positions possible, right? Yeah. Um, that is actually a reason I love to wait on it. Ahmed Rosario, Jorge Polanco, Tim Anderson, even the batting champion is, is a tremendous value. Um, so Polanco missed, what, 80 games the previous season uh, due to suspension. Uh, Nice power speed guy. Last year, though, he comes back, uh, has a career high in runs, RBIs, and batting average, batted 295. Um, uh, Growth in his walk percentage to 8.5, has a decent K rate of 16.5. 
more loft on his swing again, organization wide went from a 38 uh, or is it 30, 33% to 44% fly ball rate. I just, I don't really have a ton more to say. I think he's a guy who legitimately could bat 300 with a good amount of speed batting on top of one of the best lineups in baseball. Yeah. You talk about excellent floors, a nice hardwood floor with a fine finish. This is the guy, this is the guy will always take care of business for you. He will not let you down ever since he came back from that PED suspension. He's been this player. It's nice. Like, it's nice hardwood floors. <laughs> yeah, he like really litter listed or uh, house hunters or whatever. You, you yeah. pull off, you pull off the the old rug, and there's some <laughs> nice hardwood floors under there. You just gotta look past that suspension. You just gotta sand the floor, restain it, and boom, three hundred hitter. Yeah, you don't want like a you know carpet that's full of dust and mites yeah. and gives who you allergies all Yeah, who? Oh God, laminate. Welcome to hell. Forget that. <laughs> you want laminate is more like a. Oh gosh, I don't. Eddie know. Rosario's <laughs> laminate. <laughs> Yeah. expensive laminate by the he way sure is it, i agree with that but i do think plonka last year was a killer value i got him in uh, my home league last year in like the 240s that value in the 240 range was stupid i was thrilled with him even if he doesn't steal bases he won't because when he's had 13 he still got caught five times in previous seasons he's had other seasons where he had seven he got caught a few more times he doesn't steal well he doesn't have great sprint speed even though his profile would say, oh, you'd think he would steal more bases. No, don't worry about the steals. Just rely on a great batting average. His ground balls went down 8% last year. Fly balls went up 10%. So he's really part of that Twins effort to really take the ball out of the park. I love Polanco as a value. Rosario is also, not Eddie, but Ahmed Rosario. All those guys in the you know, like 130s area. I love taking short stops there. Uh, one thing about Polanco too, is we talked about how people's, uh, some of the players on this team whose value could dramatically change based on their lineup placement. Like again, RI is who we'll get to. Polanco has elite value uh, in drafts because he's a switch hitter that probably will not be taken out of the top of his, this lineup because of that. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, that is also something he's pretty much guaranteed to be at the top of this potent lineup, which by the way, uh, our, 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 uh, our friend, Chris over at baseball pods, you may know him on Twitter. He always loves to listen through the shows and, uh, and hit up certain things that are funny. I guarantee you, he, uh, has uh, Eddie Rosario <laughs> as expensive laminate as the highlight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's Chris, uh, batting third Nelson Cruz, the fountain of youth himself. I never doubt Nelson Cruz. I kind of am this year. Um, I never have doubted him. And he's always a great value, always undervalued. It's always trendy to say he's undervalued. Sure, he's a DH only, but the 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 amount of production he gives is just insane. And he did it last year as well. I mean, he did miss a quarter of the season with a wrist injury. But over 500, if he had 550 at-bats, his, his pace was 98 runs, 50 home runs, and 131 RBIs. Fourth highest hard per, hard contact percentage in baseball at 51.5%, 31.3 home run to fly ball ratio, well, highest of his career. Um, but he did career, hit a career high in strikeout percentage. And he, you know, his walk percentage is great, 10.8. Again, all good. But you know, he's he's he gets injured here and there. His his strikeout rate continues to get worse. He is DH only. The age cliff is coming. So I don't know. I mean, everyone has been saying this year after year, and for some reason, call it a gut feeling because, again, the data shows what the data shows. He's still killing the ball. If you draft him, you'll probably be happy, especially in a shortened season, which does change this. I was off him in season long. Short season obviously changes things a bit depending on roster construction again because he has the ability to hit the heart ball harder than anyone. But I just hate hamstringing myself with a DH that early in drafts. 
And he does have signs of decline before you didn't have any other than speculation, right? The age speculation, the strikeout rates starting to go up. And though there's, I think the batting average all of a sudden, maybe the power still there, but the batting average will start to come down. Mm. I mean, are you, 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 I see you shaking your head. So Mike, Michael, what do you think of Cruz? Cause it seems like, I don't know. I think, I think the waterfall though, I see the waterfall and he's, he's, he's going to go over the cliff here. Yeah, but you said it though. The short season is the only reason to give that pause because there's no way if he had played 150 games last year, that 311 average was not going to hold up. I'm just not buying that. It would have gone down because that's just not as that's not the norm for him. And obviously you're not getting him for average. It's power and RBIs. And that's the, the power profile. His walk percentage is just around league average. So it's not that great. I do think in a short season, it changes everything. That's why if he has to play 65 games that is very tantalizing and spare me spare me on the utility oh he's a utility guy to me that never downgrades value there's a spot for him there will be other spots for other players so depending on your league format maybe it becomes an issue but i just don't think you should ever limit yourself just because a guy has a utility only spot i think so I, I think i don't know if you limit him in, in, in a per player basis i think if you're at the point in the draft where you're looking at drafting him I think it becomes a decent tiebreaker, though. Like if you're legitimately deciding between him and someone else, having that DH is a ding in terms of, you know, all right, I who do I want here? So, so-and-so or so-and-so, and one's a DH. I think that that kind of coin flips them out of certain things. Yeah, I guess that becomes really roster construction specific. You're right. It depends on what you got going on. But generally, on a, as a rule, I never let it limit me. That's how I feel. But you're right. In the end, this this is going to be a real fascinating case. If we get like a 76-game season and he's able to mash again, and then we're going to go into 2021 like, well, he still got it. A lot of people will overhype it if that happens. I just It's very confusing. Like he's going uh, he's going around pick 70. Um, <sighs> Boy. I mean, that's – how about this? The next guy we're about to talk about is going around pick 90. His name is Josh Donaldson. Um, most people wrote him off after in, an injury riddled 2018. He even struggled to start 2019, but in the end, um, he really came around, uh, towards the middle and really came on at the end. 15.2 walk percentage. His K percentage did go up for the third straight year. He is getting older. Same kind of thing to 23.5%. Um, and he did struggle versus lefties, by the way, 215 with seven home runs and 15 RBIs over 121 at bats. That is an issue to look at going forward. But again, mm-hmm. And a deep third base position, he is going much further than he should, in my opinion. 198 balls he hit over 95 miles per hour, which is 11th best in the majors. Home run to fly ball ratio, still 25.7%, which is pretty elite. So, I mean, I think that the K percentage trend and his age don't bode well for that four-year, $92 million contract he signed. But I'm pretty happy with him in a short season, I think. Um, he's going right there with his teammate, Eddie Rosario, <laughs> uh, back-to-back in ADP. Um, it just depends. I mean, third base is really deep. I love guys later like Hunter Dozier. Um, I think I, you know, I, I, I end up with him quite a bit. But, I mean, he's going ahead of guys like Josh Bell, Jorge Soler, Miguel Sano on his own team here. Um, I don't know. In a shortened season. I, I I was I was on him as a great value for a full season in a short season. I think that I would rather go another direction because there is risk here in both terms of age regression and injury. So I think I'm out on Josh Donaldson. This is another guy I can't think of a team that I have him on. I don't know what it is. I should be 
hoarding all these twins and I don't seem to have value in any of these twins, or at least it's not worth it for me at the price. And Josh Donaldson, had a you know, career year in many respects last year it was a career high in exit velocity, 93 miles an hour, hard hit rate, 50%. Those are fantastic. I mean, that shows that right now he still has the bat and he played in the national league without a DH last year, 150 plus games. So that shows the durability. That's even more impressive than if he was DHing in the American league. So you're right. This present time exciting kind of reminds me not as long but the miguel cabrera contract here in detroit where you just like oh gosh these final couple years are brutal and on those last two years could be very brutal for twins fans but right now i think uh donaldson's probably all right where he should be i think this is a killer lineup as we know and he should have a fantastic year short or long i i would buy in it's just to me i just still don't like where he's at i agree with you i, I love hunter dozier as well i'd rather have a guy like him, or I love Scott Kingery too. If he qualifies at third, I'm just always... Justin Turner. I'm enamored with in a short season. Yes. Yeah. Justin Turner is a great example. Even if he does get hurt, I don't care about that. He's still in a great lineup. He could play 120 games if it was a full season. And in a short season, I'll take 80 games of Justin Turner. I'm with you all the way. And of course, JD Davis. I can never not mention JD Davis. Of course. You got to throw a med in there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that is what it is there. Next up in the lineup is Mitch Garver, another guy that I, I do love quite a bit. I liked him a lot more before they signed Josh Donaldson because that with Miguel Sano at third, that opened up some at-bats for Garver at first. But all in all, I'm still very in on Garver. Uh, among catchers last year, uh, first among catchers in WOBA, 404, and in weighted runs created plus, 155. So, you know, JT Rumuto be damned. Mitch Garver was the best catcher in fantasy. That is what it was for, you know, all in all, I think he was the best catcher. I know JT Rubuto has steals. I can hear Toby Batflip crazy screaming at me from another <laughs> parallel dimension right now. Uh, but Garver was also second in home runs with 31 and on base percentage at 365. He did all of that with the power with a 11.4 walk rate and a 20.1 O swing, which is the league average by O swing is how many swings you take outside of the strike zone, how many pitches you're chasing, 20.1%. The league average is 31.6%. He had 8.1 string and strike rate. So he did all this, you know, the he, he did all the things the Twins asked him to do, elevate the ball and pull it. His fly ball percentage went from 23.3 to 35.4. His pull percentage went from 34.5 to 47.8. So he made all those changes while keeping kind of a nice elite plate discipline, especially for a catcher. So, you know, and again, 15.5% barrel rate, which is top 4% in the entire league. Um, he, he, which is improved from again, 5.6 where he was. People want to look at the 29% home run to fly ball ratio and think that there's some worry. And yeah, that does seem a little high, but he made all these changes. He he's pulling the ball, elevating the ball on the barrel. Same as Max Kepler. So yeah, I mean, other than the little bit of the shine being off the rose because the, the bats at first base are gone. Where he's going, I'd much rather have him than Wilson Contreras. I even have a bet, a friendly bet with Chris Towers on uh, who who finishes uh, better. I definitely love Garver more in a shortened season, especially batting in this Twins lineup. There's just availability for like, you know, this crazy single output games. But yeah, I'm in on Garver. I don't necessarily have a ton of shares because catcher is just one of those things where Omar Narvaez I like later. Uh, you know, Will Smith, there's, there's, um, you know, uh, was it, uh, you know, Wilson Ramos, there's a lot of players 
that are are not getting respected in this area. So Mitch Garver, you know, you have to take in a certain ADP to get him on your team. I think it is well worth it, uh, but he's not someone I'm reaching for, but I think it's someone who's well worth where he's going. Uh, what is the bet with, who are you betting against? It's Chris, Chris, Chris Towers Tower. and Garver versus who? Real Milton? Well, oh, Wilson Contreras. Oh, wow. Oh, I love that bet. You're going to win that bet. I mean, uh, it's, it's, I mean, they're going pretty much neck and neck in ADP. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go ahead and, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and check right now. I have the ADP up for NFBC. If I can pull it up and I'm going to ramble on here and talk sure. while we're, oh, Mitch Garver has actually made himself. Actually, never mind. It's, it's pretty much dead, dead heat now. Uh, Contreras was well ahead of him when the bet was made. Um, can Garver right now an average uh, of 126.17. Contreras at 126.25. So you're really looking at a pick your poison right there. Ah, Mitch Garver is somebody who it seems too good to be true. You're like, is this real? Is this really happening? I'm like, who the hell is this guy? I mean, I think I know baseball fairly well. And when he came up last year and came or when he broke out, I was like, what is happening? Is this to be believed? But sure enough, you look at the numbers. He's a very patient hitter. He takes his time. A 35% swing rate. He's got solid contact skills, as you said. He's legit. What he does is legit. The only thing, and maybe this is ridiculous, he got a lot of platooning last year, and he was able to still put up a season that he did because his numbers were stupid. Could they be that ridiculous in a shortened season but while also being cut into playing time by a guy like, maybe this is crazy, but Alex Avila is the backup catcher, a much superior uh, frame rate. You know, He's a guy who frames the ball better defensively, somebody that would help the pitching staff, and the Twins do need help with the pitching staff. If they needed more offense, that would be one thing, but they don't need more offense. It's just something to think about. And it is. I, well, you did say platooning still led the league in catcher home runs. I know. Platooning. Just, yeah, but can that, you know, can that happen again? That seems like a once and in also, a lifetime. They also season. platooned him. Jason Castro had an amazing year. Also now on the Angels. They knew if they platooned uh, Garver, they had some offense. If they take him out, that offense is gone. So that I know is, they don't need it, but I'm not, Again, this is again. If 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 he was guaranteed every day at bats, if those first base at bats were there, I would be telling you to not only draft him but kind of reach for him, maybe grab him. But yeah, I, I all the red flags that you're stating prevent me from reaching or making sure he's on my team. But, um, but I would much. Thing, yeah, go ahead. One thing about him too is that we still don't know the layout of the season as it happens, and if it's division heavy, you know, uh, region centric. Teeing off on the Royals and the Tigers is going to be a boon. He could he could pile up his stats just playing every day against the Royals and the Tigers and then sitting out the other games. I'm <laughs> telling you. The, the White Sox are not that fantastic either. Ooh, well, that's a different debate, but I'll leave that. <laughs> well, no, they could be. They could be. Yes. They but we'll be. be prone to giving up the long ball and minimum. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll give you that. Um, next up in the lineup is the aforementioned Luis Arias. We're finally to him. Left-handed, just like batting champion no other way to put this mm-hmm. he literally was the batting champion by the way almost if he had if he had uh um qualified for enough at bats he was actually one point behind tim anderson batted 334 uh anderson 335 uh, but again his value is all about lineup placement because he's bringing no power to the table he's bringing no speed to the table i talk about nick madrigal all the time this is what i want out of madrigal but they need to lead off that batting average is great you want at least a second category with that, and that category will be runs. Um, you want him to be at the top of this lineup, which, again, in spring training they were. So he's going practically for free. I think he's worth the investment just in case he's there. But, again, um, he's 
totally different than the rest of this lineup. Everyone else is trying to elevate the ball and pull it out of the ballpark. Not him. He has no power. 27% pull rate, 36.5% opposite field rate. Uh, line drive rate, 32.3. So, I mean, he's hitting the ball hard and well in his own way. Uh, second in the league, uh, again, in batting average, almost won the batting title. I, l- I love him. 2.8% swinging strike rate. 28 <laughs> This guy should be leading off because, I mean, no offense to anyone else in this lineup, but I think that you can afford to put him leading off, move Kepler down uh, to, you know, Maddie, you know, maybe batting third and just, you know, move down Cruz, move down Donaldson, move down Rosario, move down Garver, you know, so no, maybe work his way up. It'll be a fluid lineup. People will move based on who's hot in a shortened season. But again, Arias you are almost guaranteed to get him on base like a couple of times a game <laughs> between his right. plate discipline and his batting average. Bat him leadoff, Minnesota. Bat him leadoff. If the goal of a leadoff hitter is to get on base, if that's goal number one, then this guy should, without a doubt, be the leadoff hitter. He has a ridiculous BABIP on ground balls. It was 312. <laughs> that was, the league average is 239. So just to put that in comparison, he hits the lot of line drives, like you said. So they're, you know, there's some people say, well, there could be a lot of variance in a line drive hitter, but he sprays everywhere. He hits both sides of the plate. He's just not, not only is he not like any of his fellow teammates, he's also not like most players today. You know, shifts are not going to be in existence with a player like this because he can put it anywhere. I really love the value. He's going around 260 ADP. I think this is somebody you wait on and just wait because he will get that opportunity. I, I don't like Kepler in the leadoff spot. I much prefer... This young man, and he's it's just a matter of time, Matt. I really think it is. I I think the only thing I would say is that maybe there's a slight Babbitt progression, specifically on the ground balls, which could maybe hurt his batting average. We'll see. But it, it's still pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he, he doesn't cost much to acquire. I think, you know, you, you take a shot on him, yep. especially if you're drafting again. If he's not, if he's going to be at the bottom of that lineup, you can probably afford to move on pretty quickly. Uh, but again, in spring training, he was batting leadoff. When spring training picks up again, we'll see if that continues to be the case. Uh, batting next is Miguel Sano, which is definitely someone who I don't I don't see batting eighth the entire year. Um, I think someone could definitely slip and allow him to move up, but you know it it, it won't change his value much. He is kind of who he is. Career high thirty four home runs, thirty six point six percent home run to fly ball ratio. Which if that sounds insane, it is. It's well above, you know, is well in first in all of uh, Major League Baseball. His exit velocity was ninety four point four. Not Ooh. his not his home run to line drive or fly ball to line drive exit velocity. Which by the way, ninety four point four is ahead of most of the league's uh, fly ball to line drive exit velocity. His average exit velocity is nine point four ninety four point four behind only Aaron Judge. His fly ball to line drive exit velocity was 99.2. There is not many people, if anyone, hitting the ball harder than this guy. 21.2% barrel rate. Best in Major League Baseball. Not that I had to tell you that. Hard hit percentage, 97. Oh, sorry, 97. (laughs) 57.2. Uh by the way, there is a there is a red flag here, which most of you already know. <laughs> Strikeout rate is 36%, which is probably why he's going to be batting towards the bottom of the lineup, at least to start things off. But again, uh, if there was any team that was ever going to go to a pull fly ball heavy approach and it helps someone as Miguel Sano, who's 32.4% fly ball, 52.7% pull percentage, uh, just insanity. I mean, he batted 199 in 2018 batting average last year, 247. 
199 was driven by a, a Babbitt much lower in his career career average. So I wouldn't worry about him dipping back in there. I think the 240, 250 range is kind of where he's going to live, probably more towards the, the crappier end. But in a shortened season with as hard as he's hitting the ball, if he sees any kind of positive regression in any area or gets a little luck, he could lead the league in home runs. He certainly could. Even he, batting he, eighth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he just if most of his hits are home runs, you know, this guy is guaranteed 40 home runs to me. I really believe that. Well, not, last a short, year, not in short season. Right. Pro-rate that, if <laughs> yeah. you will. Like, hell, hey, who knows, man? Hey, He's there's me one man. troll out there. He ain't not going to have 40. <laughs> What if he had an amazing first half? And he this just troll is apparently this, this troll is apparently drunk too. I made him drunk. Yes, yeah, I like that. Well, thirty-four home runs in one hundred and five games last year—that's just ridiculous. Everything you displayed, everything you expressed, everyone knows about Miguel Sano's profile. So it's home runs. That's it. You're not looking for much else. Uh, some reason I thought of him, and he. Were, this is not the same position or anything, but he just kind of reminds me of Rob Deere back in the '80s and '90s. I wonder how much. Rob Deere would have how hard he would have hit the ball with you know exit velocity if he had stat cast back then. A guy who didn't hit for much average one year, Rob Deere hit 179, but still hit like 26 home runs. You know, Miguel Sano could probably hit above 179, although he hit 199 in 2018, but that was in a much shorter season. But if you look at a 71 game output in 2018, that's what he gave you only 13 home runs, but there was also injuries. So I think in the end, you just got to be like, hey, I'm getting. In a short season, 20, 25 home runs, I think is very doable. The only risk, again, I am all for taking Sano. The upside very much outweighs the downside. There is actual risk, and they moved him from third to first because he's a horrible third baseman. No doubt it'll be a horrible first baseman. Um, if he's striking out a ton, again, he's been sent to the minors before in his career. If he's mm. striking out a ton and brutal at first, you could see Mitch Garver move to first if they actually want to get in a different catcher on a certain day. That Ooh. is a risk. Um not one that I think is worth baking into your output, but I think it's something where if you draft him, you do got to pay attention to what's going on because in a shortened season, teams can't afford to allow a guy to go through extended slumps. And the twins certainly can afford to move around their lineup <laughs> to, uh, to, to avoid a certain things like that. That's true. And he's also making the position move, which shall maybe reduce any injury risk at first base. Yeah. Um, Byron Buxton batting ninth. <laughs> Before I even get into him, do you have any shares oh, of Byron boy. Buxton? Uh, I think I may have had one if I lucked into it, but I'm not somebody who reaches, though yet I am a little tantalized, as always. He's tantalized. Uh, injuries derailed last season where there was actually a step forward in theory happening. Uh, his K percentage was a career low, 23.1%, which sucks, but career low. Um, his swing strike rate really didn't move. And, uh, and neither does his like Z contact, which, which most people seem to, most data seems to look like he was just getting more aggressive on first pitches, which he, before he was way too passive, like 30%. He was up to 37.6% swinging at a lot of, um, a lot of first pitches. So he was trying to ambush people like the rest of the team, which kind of dropped his ground ball percentage from 42.6 to 29.6. I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> for a speed guy. I mean, his exit velocity went from 85 to 89.3, which is nice is his fly bottle line drive exit velocity went from 92.8 to 95 miles per hour. His barrel percentage went from 5.6 to 8.3. So he's hitting the ball harder, but we're drafting Byron Buxton for speed, like maybe league winning Billy Hamilton speed. Well, maybe not Billy Hamilton, but like really elite speed mm. stole 14 bases and a half a season last year. So, um, Kind of, yeah, where are you taking? I'm not taking him because there's too many question marks. I've been hurt before. I will just <laughs> build my team like he doesn't exist. That's that's where I'm at. 
But oh. how do you feel about those changes he made in that drop in ground ball percentage, the whole bit? What do you think of Byron Buxton? I mean, what else can we say, Matt? It's all been covered. Everybody knows what you get with them. Everyone's always so excited. He's the most he's the most covered player I often feel like in fantasy for a guy who doesn't deserve it based on the output. It was always about potential. People always reach for him too high in drafts. It's That's why I, I think I maybe only had one share where he dropped. But the rest of the drafts, people are always like, oh, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who got Buxton early and figured it out this year. I want to say I was the guy. But you don't know that that's going to happen. Like you said, I like, I like some of the adjustments he made, but the injuries, the way he plays in center field, is it's always reckless. And the only reason it is reckless is because of his injury history. He wouldn't be reckless if he was a guy who could take the, he, the hits. He can't take the hits. Concussions, shoulders, yada, yada, yada. I remember I traded Buxton. I, for some reason, I had him at the deadline, and I got him for Sonny Gray, and that was one of the best trades I ever made. Sonny Gray was fantastic, and this is what you should do. You should try to use Buxton to your advantage. If he shows any type of value, move him at that moment and capitalize on a guy who will give you a, a full season of work. That's what the twins should do, by the way. They should. They definitely should. Because, <laughs> by the way, one thing we didn't mention, because it doesn't matter in fantasy at all, elite defender. Yeah, absolutely. And but, I mean, that, that's not, that is something every team needs. They do need him, but he just, he, I just laid it all out. But if they, they traded him for some type of pitcher, maybe somebody who could help them to push him over the top, I would be all for that as a Twins fan. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and that kind of, that wraps up the actual lineup. The bench, Alex Avia, Marwin Gonzalez, Jake Cave. If they're seeing the field, something bad's happened. So, about, I mean, what about Marwin, though? I mean, there was a time Marwin was a, drafted guy now it seems like he's yeah, just a white he, he definitely he seemed he sure seemed like one of the trash can guys i mean they had that one guy who who literally um made you know went through the audio and made the chart of everyone who was affected by the oh. <laughs> by the trash cans uh springer was at the very top jose altuve was at the very bottom but yeah i mean most data seems to suggest that marwin gonzalez was dramatically helped by cheating and i will just Ooh. flat out call it that um, I have I have no confidence in him returning to anything resembling useful. You said it, Matt. Beautiful. Let's move on. <laughs> there, there's a few prospects here who are very interesting, like Royce Lewis and Trevor Larnack and Alex Kirilov. In a shortened season, in a stacked lineup, in a year where you're guaranteed a full year of, of uh, service time, no matter when you come up, I can't imagine any of these guys see the field unless there's a devastating injury or two right out of the gate. Um so, uh, yeah, I, I think you can safely say that they are not worth investing in unless you're in a draft champion situation where you're drafting really late depth. I don't see anything like that happening. Maybe Karoloff would be the guy I would I would grab if, if I were to speculate. Hey, you're right. They are loaded, but yeah, it's just no room for them this year. I don't see it. Uh, rotation. Jose Barrios, if there was like, you know, if you wanted to do a cover child for always a bridesmaid, never a bride, it's Jose Barrios. He's... <laughs> He's been good, but he's just never made that jump to great that everyone thinks. 3.80 ERA over the past three years with a 1.20 whip, 23.8 strikeout percentage. And his strikeouts are pretty heavily tied to called strikes. He's not really fooling anyone. Last year, he got off to a really good start, fizzled really badly in the second half, mainly due to control issues. Strikeout rate dropped from 22.3 to 24.2. His walk rate went from 4.4 to 8.1 in the second half. Swinging strike rate stayed pretty consistent. Called strike rate actually stayed pretty consistent. But the zone rate went down from like 52 to 47.9. People were swinging less uh, and and pretty much 
just little tiny things. Barrios just seems like one of those guys that, you know, it looks like he has something extra in the tank and everyone always really loves his curveball, except that it's not really what people are hoping it would be. The, the, the barrel percentage and the swinging strike rate is not far off from his like four seam fastball. People are swinging uh, at his curveball 12.5% of the time to 10.9 in his four seamer. Uh, but they're barreling the four seamer 7.1% of the time. They're barreling his curveball 8.9% of the time. So, I mean, what do you, what do you make of Barrios? I have zero shares um, because I can see a step coming, but I want to see it, especially in a shortened season. There's, there's many other people in that area and not to mention much, much later in the draft, I'd rather take a shot. on. Yeah. Last year, he kind of, it looked as if he kind of faded out in the second half, but if you look beyond the surface, you do find that the second half, he was pretty still, he was basically the guy that he was in the first half. He just had an inflated BABIP and the walk rate did go up a bit, caught some bad breaks, but he is a guy that, if given a short season, he could ace out. He could. Now that's that's a lot of hearsay, and I honestly, it's hard to support with the data. So I don't really want to go down that road. It's just a, it's just the short season makes a lot of things unknown. In a long season, a full season, Barrios is who he is, and I think he's overvalued. I have no connection with him in any league. I do remember when he came up, and I was so excited about him, but he he just doesn't seem to have uh, realized some of the potential because I thought as a smaller pitcher, he's you know he's six foot, he's a little smaller. I would always root for those guys, but he doesn't quite fit the bill. But he will log innings. He is an innings eater, so in real life, I think he's a very valuable asset for the. There's a couple of positives. Like last year, he made a couple of changes. He threw more changeups in 2019 than the previous two seasons combined. I kind of used the changeup as a swing and miss pitch versus right-handed hitters, and then he used his sinker for that swing and miss pitch versus left-handed hitters. Um, it kind of you know that gave him an accurate pitch to throw on the third base side with his two seamer, while the four seam curveball is thrown on the first base side. The changeup had a 14.7 percent swing strike rate which are 14.9 and a 43.1 O swing rate, which is great, but only a 29% zone rate. Um, so you want, if you're not going to throw it in the zone, you want people to chase the ball a little more than that, or you don't want to try to move it in the zone more. And you said he's an innings eater and we eater and how he said that he got off to a kind of a great start and fizzled down the end. He actually had a velocity dip between, you know, from July to September. I don't know if it's dead arm or a stamina issue, with his four seam fastball, which is why, you know, he got hit a little harder, but maybe in a shortened season, we don't even see that. So that's one thing to kind of like, you know, overall, you know, go ahead. What's interesting about that is his FIP from first half to second half, 3.85 to 3.86. There's no difference. So maybe he just got some bad breaks. I'm not so sure that uh, even if it was a dead arm, he still seemed to be based on the peripherals. I mean, even his XFIP was even lower. It's 4.39 first half, 4.22 in the second half. So something to think about when you look a little deeper. Yeah. I mean, his his fastball is okay. Um, 10.9% swinging strike rate was a career high. X Wobicon of 380 is acceptable. Uh, His sinker, is not a swing and miss pitch at all, but it, tre- it, it, it creates tremendous weak contact. Only a, 390, a 319 X Wobicon, which is fantastic. Um, so it's actually not a surprise that his second half slump coincided with a decrease in his sinker usage. <laughs> um, for fantasy, you want to see strikeouts, but for success, you know you want to have a proper pitch mix. And if he's going to get weak contact with him to, to get out of certain situations, so be it. The main thing people like to bring up, I said before, is his curveball. It just wasn't the dominant pitch that, 
you're expecting when you see these, you know, the gifs of him just breaking off these kind of like 12 sixes. He, he had league average contact on the pitch, league average swinging strike rate, did have a 48% zone rate, negative 1.8 PVAL. Um, so that the 20.9% called strike rate combined with a 12.5 swinging strike rate made it made it an effective strikeout pitch, but not like dominant. Um, he had a 16.3% in um, swing strike rate, by the way, in 2018. So pretty much to recap with Barrios, and we're going over him because he's obviously the most important pitcher to them. His sinker was very effective as a ground ball pitch to promote weak contact, but didn't have swing and miss potential. His changeup gets chased, but has a low zone percentage. So... Mm. The swing strike percentage doesn't correlate. So he wants to, you want to throw, if he throws the changeup in the zone more and mixes more sinkers in, we could see something. And the curveball is a good offering um, and his four seamer is, is okay. So if his velocity stays up and he makes a couple of changes, I can see the jump. But the problem is I don't like gambling that high in drafts on people that I need to see stuff from, especially in a shortened season where rookies like Jesus Lazardo and then guys like Brandon Woodruff and, um, and uh, Tyler Glass now are more interesting in shortened years. And then you have other guys that rely on called strikes like Sonny Gray and Aaron Nola hanging around the same area with a little more of a tra- – with, with, with more interesting data behind them. So I can Would see you- him breaking off a career best pace in this shortened season, but it, you got to pay for it. Would you rather have – just throwing it out there. Would you ever have Woodruff, Brandon Woodruff, or Mike Soroka about like 20 picks later? Woodruff. You would. Yeah, especially in the shortened season. Uh, everyone makes the can makes the argument. A lot of well, not everyone. There's there's definitely split, <laughs> split, split on Soroka. Uh, people make the case on how he could be a strikeout pitcher. My main problem with Soroka is there's no reason for him to be one. The Braves are in charge of how he's attacking hitters, and they want to win games, not a fantasy league. So if he's gonna be an elite weak contact guy why would they not allow that to continue um i love everything i saw with brandon woodruff's uh fastball we covered it on the brewer show when you know he he has his uh, he has the same plane the same release point with his uh four seamer and two seamer which kind of makes it impossible to determine and his changeup was being tipped a little bit because his release point was differently if he fixes that and he's throwing his four seamer two seamer and changeup at the same exact release point he's going to be a, even a more of a monster so i am you picked a bad example maybe because i am on brandon woodruff um <laughs> he doesn't go very long into games which is one thing we're talking about barrios who, who probably will which is a nice plus in a shortened season innings pitched are going to be at a at a uh, at a premium you know what? I'm actually talking to myself and wishing I at least have a couple of shares of this guy because I actually oh! think, I think something's happening uh, with him. I think I can see it. I really can see it happening this year, but unfortunately there is no discount. Um, what I'd like to see is once the tons of drafts start up, because there will be a lot of people will cancel their old leagues or want new ones. I think that the, the Hazel Cesaros of the world and th- there'll be a lot of trendy guys moving up and by Come, you know, because of that, people will move back. And I think Barrios is one of those guys that who who will move back. I only threw those names out there because on Fantasy Pro's ADP, Jose Barrios 71, ADP, Woodruff's 84, Soroka's 94 on average. So I, you could wait a little bit longer. I agree. It's a little too high. And by the way, I just have to say this. I, I don't know what's going on on Fantasy Pro's website, but I just got distracted by an advertisement of a two-headed cow. And I don't know why that's on <laughs> <laughs> you know who's the worst again no no shade but well it is i mean it is by definition shade i'm bringing it up publicly and no public offense point. but <laughs> cbs 
My God, if you can't look anything up there without being attacked by some kind of ad, stop it. (laughs) Stop it, CVS. I know you got to get your money, but you have the like, it's not that an ad pops up. It's an obnoxiously loud ad. It's so loud. Oh my God. I had an exact experience like a week ago. Uh, it would just boom. I was like, whoa, whoa, what is happening? I looked, I looked it up live on a podcast before and then like it's blaring in my earphones. So like I can hear it, but no one else can. So I have to talk over and I can't hear myself. And it was just a nightmare. Anyway, Jake, Jake, speaking of which, how about Jake Odorizzi? Um, (laughs) After a 2016 season where he had a 369 ERA and 166 Ks over 187 innings, um, people were kind of like all in an an Odorizzi. The wheels completely fell off after that in 27 inch, 2017 and 2018, uh, 17 and 18 with a 433 ERA and 289 Ks over 307 innings. Uh, only only averaged 5.1 innings per start, and you know his his walk rate was around 3.8. So you know nothing. You know going into last year, there was still had a little bit of a cheering section, but you know again he obviously regained previous form. Uh, he had a career high in wins, 15, and strikeouts with 178. Had a nice ERA um, with 3.51, whip of 1.208. So um, are you on board the Odorizzi train who was actually highlighted in uh, Roto Fanatic? Uh, Dave Swan over Roto Fanatic did a, uh, a whole article on masters of movement, pitchers with nice secondary movement. And uh, Odorizzi was actually highlighted uh, during that article. Ah, Davithius, the mysterious one. Yeah, he's got good stuff over there. Check out, it's a good article. Not just because Roto Fanatic's cool, but because Dave Swan is a smart guy. Check it out. However, we have to have concerns about Mr. Odorizzi's third time through the order. I know third time through the order is legendary for a lot of pitchers. Like, oh, get him out. That's why a lot of pitchers get the hook or why we have openers, right? His third time through the order last year eh, wasn't so great. I think... We need to be considerate of that because last season he he had a beginning 619 OPS, but then that's through the first two times. And then the third time it would drop to 885 OPS. That's that's suspect. That's questionable. That definitely caused for concern. But there was some efforts to kind of finagle him to get him out and minimize him facing the third time through the order. But overall, I mean. There's a lot to light. He had a career high 27% strikeout rate. I really like that. Uh, target field can be beneficial to him. He only gave up what 16 home runs last year in 160 innings. So that's exciting. But I, I, I don't have any shares again, for some reason, another twin. I just do not have on my squad, but there's a lot to like, if he could work on that third time through, or they minimize him to just get him the win. If you're in a roto league, something like that, then maybe he's somebody you would take. Uh, who's the, who's the guy who's like obsessed with him? Is it draft cheat? <laughs> uh, Pete, is it Pete who loves him? Um, I, I I don't have any shares with Odorizzi either, but again, it, it is not it's it's not by design. Uh, he happens again to be in that area where there's other people I like, but I actually think there's something interesting here with Odorizzi. I think the the improvement was legitimate, uh, mainly due to nothing tangible. Everything that he was doing was actually kind of similar to what he was doing when he was bad, but he had two <laughs> miles per hour added to his fastball, which by the way helps a lot. Uh, being able to use your fastball makes your secondary stuff better. It's kind of like when a, when a team in the a middle of the pack team trades for a cleanup hitter at the trade deadline, not only are you adding that hitter, but the hitters around them get better by, by comparison. So I think that's something with other reasons. So I, I do believe in the, uh, improvement, but, uh, I would rather in a short season, maybe take a chance on someone with maybe a little higher upside, but I think where he's being taken, it's a pretty decent discount. Uh, because I think he's, um, 
I think he's kind of the Eddie Rosario of pitchers. Uh, uh, now, the way he is now, I think he'll give you, I think what he did last year is kind of what you'll get as a pace. And if you're fine with that, mark it down in pen and you can put that in your lineup. Kenta Maeda, beautiful addition to this team. Obviously, he's going from the uh, NL to the AL, which is not a big deal anymore considering the NL now has the designated hitter. They trade Bruce, uh, Bruce, Bruce Dark Gratterall, which by the way, I need to get better at pronouncing names. Um, uh, baseball HQ was uh, kind enough and Chris at Baseball Pod shared the pronunciation guide for all oh, players, yeah. which I need to study and and get better at. But um, Gratterall was traded twice. You know, so the Red Sox didn't want him. The Dodgers were happy too. So yeah. second time's a charm. Kenta Maeda is now on the Minnesota Twins. Um, another guy I have zero shares of. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I uh, I just don't have any shares of these Twins pitchers other than the bullpen. Um, you know, maybe do we think he's going to be finally set free here now that he's out of Dodger land and maybe given being given the opportunity to actually throw a few games? There certainly is a lot of hope. And hype. I feel like Maeda is one of the most hyped offseason pitchers, regardless of the trade. I know, um, I believe Alex Fast is very excited about Maeda. And there are a lot of other analysts who are jumping on the Maeda train. Oddly enough, Odorizzi and Maeda are right in the same area of average ADP, about you know 174 for Odorizzi, 172 for Maeda. I would much rather have Maeda over Odorizzi, even though he was in the bullpen for the Dodgers at times. He's, he got messed with a lot. This is why. Now he can just be the starter he needs to be. His K rate has increased while his walk rate has decreased the last two years. That's very positive. I like that. I, I would love to have him. I think this is a guy who could really, really skyrocket, especially in a short season on a team that is prone to score a lot of runs. Yeah, I mean his his slider is amazing. One of the really one of the best ones in baseball. 41.8% O swing, which is the swings outside of the strike zone, 21.8 swinging strike rate, and he throws it in the zone 44.4% of the time, which is just unbelievable. And, you know, 365 is leave average Wobicon. His Wobicon on the on the slider was 328, his ex Wobicon was 316. Is, is a fantastic pitch. He throws 32% of the time. He throws his fastball 38% of the time. So he's, he's mixing in there quite a bit. The, the, the elephant in the room with Kenta Maeda. He has same in LA, you know, the contract travels with him. Uh-huh. He has, he has incentives in his contract based on innings pitched. Uh, we yeah. know what the Dodgers are all about and limiting him. We don't know how the twins are. They gave up a decent prospect to bring him into town. And I don't think they did it to limit him in any way. Obviously in a shortened season, he's yeah. never reaching that. So everyone early in the year who was avoiding Kenta Maeda because of those innings limits doesn't exist now. Yeah, I don't think they, prorate? I don't think they prorate. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is there a clause in there? Like, yeah. Hey, well, you know. So again, that is something where they're going to let him off the chain. They brought him in there to win with this team and they're going to need every little bit of him. So, that was actually one of the biggest knocks on him was those incentives in his contract, which now I am assuming mean nothing. If they prorated, I'd be stunned. I don't, I've never seen a contract that prorated incentives, um, you know, which is probably a sad sticking point for a lot of contracts out there. Uh, but uh, yeah, Kenta Maeda, uh, I, I'm quite interested. Um, if there's if there's more drafts, I think he's someone who should be pushed up in EDP. I haven't seen the move yet. I think mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where he's just – Flying under the radar is types, you know, as, as far as, as something like that. Yeah. Uh, next up in the lineup uh, is, uh, is Homer Bailey. He has a cheering section. I'm not in it. Oh, that's not I'm very gonna, nice. Man. I'm going to let you Homer, take it. 
Homer Bailey, I I like what he does. I, I feel like he's been through the ringer. He's had a lot of pain and suffering. Injury is not yeah, he has no pain and suffering. He signed a very <laughs> beautiful contract that he's earned zero dollars of. <laughs> oh wow. No bones about it. Okay, fair enough. I I think that now that the Rich Hill could probably which we'll talk about momentarily, Rich Hill is gonna be ready to go, I would assume if the season gets rolling. So wasn't he arrested for something ridiculous with his wife, rich or Homer rich? Oh dear. I don't know. I do know, I know that you, rich, you talk rich about Hill is a Michigan man. So you do not defame a Michigan man. Oh, I'm not, oh I, he definitely was arrested. Um, <laughs> hold on. I'm going to look it up. Right. Rich Hill and his wife were arrested at new England Patriots game. Um, I'm reading this straight from Steve Gardner, by the way, USA Today, so we can trust him. Uh, free agent pitcher Rich Hill, who spent the last four seasons with the Los Angeles Dodgers, was arrested at the New England Patriots Buffalo Bills game on Saturday as he and his wife were charged with disorderly conduct. Wow. He repeatedly tried to enter Gillette Stadium with an oversized bag. And uh, when his wife was turned away several times and refused to leave the area, they arrested her and along with her husband. I Did just remember play- reading that. I don't know what they were trying to get into the freaking Patriots game. Oh, well. You know, hey, no Will- shade on Rich Hill. Fantastic curveball, and you'll be on my fantasy team. Yeah. Maybe I need to rethink the Michigan man thing. I mean, Fred Wilpon's the <laughs> Michigan man, and that speaks <laughs> for itself. So, <laughs> anyways, but Homer Bailey, I think is he's going to get the shot here. Even still, they also have uh, Chassin. They they got a lot of dudes that they've because they've probably banked on injury. In fact, uh, it's obvious they have banked on injury. But you know, last year he had a combined four seventy or four five seven ERA, but his FIP was four eleven. Homer Bailey played for a a Royals team that had nothing to play for. So maybe he didn't feel the pressure. He struck out 8.2 per nine. Yeah, it's not bad. Highest, highest K percentage since 2013. Yeah. So, you know, there's promising opportunities. The A's were able to use them to their advantage. And I think this is a, I think this is a rock solid fourth, fifth starter. That's, not saying much because I probably won't draft him, but I <laughs> you will mean, you use mean, him. You mean, I, you mean he's, I, I think basically like you think he's a good fourth or fifth starter for the twins, but just maybe not necessarily for someone's fantasy team. That is exactly what I mean, Matt. I would never draft him. And I do know there will be a point in the season where I will pick him up on the wire and use him for one great start where he goes like six, seven innings, strikes out nine guys and I get a win and that'll be great. And that's all I need from Homer. Thank you, Mr. Bailey. Yeah, I, I he's 12 team, not even a consideration, probably not even a consideration to stream in 15 team leagues. Last year, he kind of had like that four and a half ERA, one, three whip, 20% striker rate. If you need innings and innings again are at a premium, there's a spot for him in deep leagues. Um, but other than that, uh, he's, he's a, he's a, you know, he's just a watch guy. I, you know, he, he bounced back a little bit, but he bounced back barely to usable. So, I mean, you need further improvement, which I don't see coming. One other thing I want to say about him though, is that he did change his pitch mix last year. He cut his slider in more and the, and the the splitter was used a lot more. So Mm -hmm. I feel like if that if that helped him last year and he continues to do that and reduce his fastball usage, maybe something fun could be brewing there. Just saying. <laughs> hey, um, what is the average P val for a pretty good pitch? What do you think? Like off the, you don't have to give a correct answer. If if you were looking at a pitch and hoping to see a positive P val for a very good pitch, what is a number you'd hope to see? Boy, that's a good question. I would have to say a good P val would be uh two. I'm really ignorant on P-Vales. That's fine. It's, you know, positive, useful. Uh, Julie Chassin, who, by the way, had a uh, 601 ERA and a 156 whip and a 21.5 K percentage last year. Brutal. What do you think his P-Val was on his slider, which he throws 50% of the time? About four. 114. 
point three. <laughs> 114.3. Uh, he had a 47% zone rate, which you better have if you're throwing it 50% of the time, a 16% swing strike rate, and a 39.60 oh swing. Almost 40% of the time, people chase it outside of the strike zone. Wow. How is he this bad? Wow. Probably because his fastball is like horrible. He gave up 17 home runs on just his fastball mm. um, after giving up seven in 2018. So that explains why he was so bad last year. Uh, but. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, I mean, when Rich Hill comes back, I would say if he can get that fastball under control, they need to take him in a slider and put it in the bullpen. Uh, but yeah, 114.3. Jeez. I didn't even look at Chussine because I just, you know, they got Hill technically in the injured area, but we're to the point now where Hill will be ready to go most likely. So I don't, I see him being maybe waived or uh, if he takes an outright release. Michael Pineda also still alive. But yeah, still, he still has to serve, right? The, the suspension still is intact, right? Yes. Okay, I believe that's correct. But that's the same thing why I devo- uh, avoid Domingo Herman. They still got to serve their suspensions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, if you have any any thoughts on Chassin or you just want to move right into Rich Hill, the guy who will what? obviously be in the rotation. <laughs> Let's definitely move into Rich Hill. And I, oh, one thing I took away from all that was not how bad Chassin was, but how little I know about p And I need to do my homework. So don't believe me, that p No, no, no. That p is definitely off the reservation. It is a complete anomaly. When you said two, that is completely fine. It, two is an elite, but that is acceptable. Like if you saw any pitch and saw two p you could be happy with that as the pitch should be and could be thrown. 114 <laughs> is insanity. Wow. Holy cow. Well, Mr. Hill is a Michigan man. I love him. His curveball is classic. Let's talk about him. Uh, not really much to say. I mean, everything you know about Rich Hill, he gets tons of blisters. He's injury prone. It's a shortened <laughs> season. You're not paying for much for him. It's a, it's an obvious risk. He's a Cy Young candidate on on at his peak. But in a shortened season, if he's injured, he's probably missing most of the season. So he's a guy that I think you absolutely draft. And he's a guy who, if the second he gets injured, you absolutely drop. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, mean, I don't think anybody's ever put Rich Hill more succinctly than you just did, Matt. Beautifully said. What else can you say? I mean, he's he's usable. He's very good when he's healthy. But you're right. No, play, no player has been known for blisters more than Rich Hill. It's hard for me to think of another guy. And I think even though his curveball is elite and he throws it more than almost anybody I can think of, I don't trust him to be healthy. He's only getting older. I mean, I think he's, we're talking he's 40 now, 40 years old. He's had a late career resurgence, but I think the party's over. And the reason the Twins have all these starting pitchers, including guys like you know Randy Dubnak, there's a lot of other guys too. So I, I think they're hedging their bets on a guy like Hill. Um, let's move into the bullpen. Uh, honestly, my favorite target out of anyone in the bullpen. Most people know by now. If you don't, you don't watch the listen to the show. The, the, the closers I typically load up on are the Keelas of the world, the Joe Jimenez, the people at the back end. It costs nothing. <laughs> I don't want to invest any, Yeah, I don't I don't want to invest anything. But when I am trying to get a guy, especially in a shortened season where I want to try to get someone who I know will have primarily the job and I want to pay for talent and not name recognition or career years, which he had a career year, this guy, I love Taylor Rogers. Um I think he is not getting anywhere near the respect he deserves compared to other pitchers at ADP. His first pitch strike rate was 68%, which what do you want to see out of a, of a closer? You don't want him to walk people. You want him to either get ground balls or strikeout, but you don't want him to walk people and you want to get him to get ahead of, ahead of the count. 68% first strike rate, uh, a, a 1.4% walk rate, 
which was his career low, and had a career high strikeout rate of eleven point seven. Um, I, he's a, just a perfect makeup for a closer. Over the first two months of the year, he had a two one six ERA, thirty one strikeouts over twenty five innings, um, and then that was before he took over the ninth to become the closer, which was on June second. Over the final four months, uh, twenty six for thirty and save and saves fifty nine strikeouts in forty four innings, and he was just just amazing. His, his slider had a 198 batting average against his curveball 121 batting average against. So yeah, he's someone I, I definitely think will bounce back while everyone's jumping aboard some earlier bets. I think he's actually the best value at closer in terms of um, keeping his job on a good team, solid um, skill foundation that is likely to stick. I think he's a perfect combination of price and talent and skill. Maybe this is crazy, but how much of a difference is there really between Rodgers and Josh Hader? I mean, they both are multiple inning guys. They both throw gas. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see that there's, I mean, I know Hader can have a little bit of a higher K-9, but I love what Rodgers can do for both sides of the plate. And he can strike out guys for both sides. And that is why he pitches two innings sometimes, because he has that ability to use the curveball and the slider, use the slider against righties, and he can use the curve and the slider to keep lefties off balance. I love this guy. I would take him. I'd just like to wait a little bit longer. 103 ADP on average, still a little bit too rich for me, but the value I think is probably legit, as you stated. Like I said, the walk rate makes the walk rate is what really stands out to me. Really ridiculous walk rate. You said you want to compare him to Hater, which obviously I don't know what everyone thought when you said that. There's, you know, you're either paying for Hater or you're not. Um, Hater has a 6.9% walk rate, which actually is down from 11.7 and 9.8 last year. Uh, Taylor Rogers does not walk people, which is great. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Josh Hader's striking out people pretty much 50% of the time. If you're coming up, you literally have a 50, 50 chance of walking back to the dugout, uh, with a sad look on your face. So that's, you know, the big difference there from fantasy perspective is obviously one guy is literally among the, maybe the best strikeout machine in all of baseball. Uh, but, but because of his usage, you know, see Andrew Miller, sad shell of himself. Uh, uh, you don't know when the wheels will fall off on a guy who's being used that much, no matter how young they are. Uh, so that's the reason I'm not really investing there. You really do have to pay up for that and I'm not going to do it. Um, but you know, if, again, if he dominates again, there will be no surprises there, but Taylor Rogers doesn't have any price attached to him. He strikes out enough people, uh, walks no one. It's, it, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But if the strikeout rate grows for Rogers, I'm saying it. I don't think it's crazy to think if you talk about him moving up and taking the next step and keep growing, It'll be interesting to see where Rodgers and Hayter rank in 2021. I'm just saying. Yep. It doesn't um, look great now. So. One pitcher we didn't talk about is uh, Randy Dobnak, who can kind of, you know, he could he can definitely fill in at starting pitcher if someone, um, you know, is is brutal, or he could, you know, jump into the bullpen, which in a shortened season, we don't know how close games will be. There'll be an equal need for maybe a six starter or a long reliever, a middle reliever, someone to follow an opener. You know, there'll, there'll be a lot of reasons to use multi-inning guys. So Rob, Randy Dobnak, um, he has an okay fastball, a pretty awesome slider, and I think he's someone kind of worth looking at. He's someone that I know MLB moving averages, our boy John really likes. Uh, any interest in investing in Randy Dobnak? And then we'll talk real quick about the rest of the bullpen. You know, they have guys like Sergio Romo, Trevor May. In a shortened season where more people will be used for closing, which by the way, Taylor Rogers just have one war. He's a lefty who lefties actually hit harder than righties do. Um, so if you were to end up getting hit hard in any, you know, fashion, you know, they, there, there could be days off because there's, there's games closer together. So yeah, Dobnek, Romo, May, Tyler Duffy, Tyler Clippard, everybody, 
Are you interested in, in grabbing anyone else in this bullpen in a deeper league? Dobnak's mustache is killer. So for that alone, I would like <laughs> to have him on my team at some point in the season. I mean, he just looks like a guy straight from the 80s. I love it. He's a he's a throwback. I like throwbacks. Uh, he throws his sinker 36% of the time. So he likes to rely on his sinker, but he can throw all of his pitches four strikes. I do like him as a spot starter here and there. Maybe, maybe again, another guy like Homer Bailey, who, Hey, I'll pick up for a waiver wire start somewhere along the season. I feel confident in that, but for the rest of the bullpen, uh, Trevor may is a guy that you would think, Hey, maybe he should have took the closers job last year and it never really happened, but he still is somebody who could mix in and vulture a save. You know, I talked about on my podcast earlier this week, guys who would vulture saves. And I think Trevor may is right there with them, but I also like Tyler Duffy. I'm not, I'm off on Romo. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Sergio Romo. I think Tyler Duffy is a guy who has a great arsenal. And if he can put it all together, I would like to see him kind of rise up in the ranks of the relief area for the twins. Use that fastball, a sinker, the curveball he has. And I like that he's added some velocity too. So I'm throw, I'm excited about that. And I think Tyler Duffy's a guy to watch if there's like a deep, deep cut in this bullpen. And um, that pretty much wraps up the entire Minnesota Twins. Side note by uh, Randy Dobnak and his bad, badass mustache. <laughs> you may have seen his badass mustache if you were riding around uh, last year looking for an Uber or Lyft. If anyone doesn't know the story there, while he's in the minor leagues, he was actually a, uh, a fairly busy uh, Uber driver. So you could have called, you know, made a made an appointment on your phone, and then Randy Dobnak and that sweet, you know, dead deadwood, tombstone esque look could be rolling up to take you where you wanted to go. <laughs> Which for a pitcher is completely cool, but if my Uber driver is rolling up looking like Wyatt Earp, it's, I'm gonna maybe think twice. <laughs> <laughs> or at least ask a couple of questions. Yeah. So <laughs> that is the Minnesota Twins, everybody. Uh, you know, another one of those teams where you know the high variance, high production, a uh, lot of lot of interesting guys there. So, um, Mike, before we shut things down, any final thoughts on the Minnesota Twins? And tell everyone, uh, you know, where else they can find your work and where they can chase you down on Twitter to scream at you about your takes. Oh, right. I love that. Please, people, if you disagree with me, hit me up. MJ Govier, G-O-V as in Victor, I-E-R on Twitter. You can also find me on the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. That's Palazzo Podcast on Twitter. Two L's, two Z's. Well, we just talked this week with Mike Carter of Roto Fanatic. He's a great guy. I got to know him. I strongly urge you, not because it's my podcast, but because Mike Carter is a really down-to-earth but savvy and witty dude who's got some great wisecracks, but he also has great takes on Sandy Alcantara and a host of other players that are excellent values post 280p. So check that out. And as far as the twins real quick, they are on the path to greatness. They're going to feast on the central division. The Indians are their rival. No doubt about it. This is the time. Now the twins have to capitalize now before the white Sox get really good. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. at Matt Williams. M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. Follow the show at Turn2Podcast on Twitter. Rate and review the show on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. If you love the show, tell us why. Uh, we love getting feedback. If you want to hear more or less of something, you know, let us know. We, we love hearing from you. So, um, yeah, for the Minnesota Twins preview, this is us signing off. We'll be back next episode with the New York Mets. Finally, I get to talk about the love of my team. Uh, Michael Florio will be joining uh, me and John. MLB Moving Averages to break them down. So, me, Michael Govier, saying goodbye and good luck out there. Hopefully, we'll get some news on an MLB season soon. My, See you, everybody. Oh my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. 
I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The ex flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words? I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points, man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, what it do? Win leaps Catch out Catch out